You're listening to the Learning Capacity Podcast. I'm Colin Klupik. This special edition episode is brought to you by LearnFast in conjunction with Diabetes Australia for Healthy Weight Week 2016. To find out more about the Learning Capacity Podcast, visit soundcloud.com slash learnfast, where you can hear discussions on all things learning and the latest in educational neuroscience. To find resources on diabetes-related issues and healthy eating, visit diabetesaustralia.com.au. Healthy weight is always a tricky issue, as everyone will have some kind of opinion on it. In this episode, accredited practicing dietitian Kim Duggan-Larkin of Diabetes Victoria makes it very clear that healthy weight is actually a very serious issue for general health and the avoidance of health issues such as obesity, type 2 diabetes and cardiovascular disease. Put simply, we can't ignore it. But the good thing is that there are simple things that we can do to help, namely cooking at home more often, watching our portion sizes and keeping our cooking simple. Let's find out what we can learn about this tricky issue. Kim, thanks for joining us. No problem, Colin. Thanks for having me. It's Healthy Weight Week, and uh, just the name of the week, uh, I, I must imagine, would send shivers down the spines of some or uh, perhaps some other unusual reactions. Because I think correct weight must be uh, one of the hardest things to talk about, at least objectively, despite all the measures that we can use. Now, it seems that everyone's going to have some kind of a view on this thing. And I'd like to start off with a, a, a simple question, which might actually sound overly simple. But is healthy weight actually a serious issue? Well, it's a really good question, Colin. And I mean, I think the answer to that is yes, it, it definitely is a serious issue. Uh, we know it's a, it's a huge issue in Australia. I mean, weight is only one measure of health, but we do know that being overweight and particularly being obese um, is associated with a range of different chronic diseases. It has really strong links with certain types of cancers and type 2 diabetes and also cardiovascular disease. Um, it also reduces our life expectancy. So whilst it's it's not, you know, it's certainly not the only measure of health and, it, and you can't just look at someone and say they're definitely, um, you know, unhealthy because of a certain size, uh, it is it is definitely a big issue and not something we can ignore. Because you can also be thin or lean and be uh, metabolically unhealthy. Isn't that right? Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. Uh, so, um, I mean, the the effects of exercise and unhealthy diets and, and just generally being unfit may not necessarily project if you have, have the genes for staying slender regardless of how much exercise and other things you, you do or don't do. Um, yeah, you're absolutely right. You can still have um, certain characteristics that, that can raise your risk of those chronic diseases and, and still ultimately mean that you're not particularly healthy. So it's it's quite true to say that weight's not definitely not the only measure of our health. Okay, so for our backyard workout people, there's no point in having the, uh, the gym in the garage and then saying, oh, look, I can have fast food a few times a week. That's what you're saying? Uh, look, I mean, there's always room in a healthy diet for having the odd treat. Um, fast food a few times a week, probably pushing pushing the boundaries a little bit there. Um, but you can, you know, with a, with a lot of exercise, you can certainly get away with with eating higher calorie foods than than those of us that don't do plenty of exercise. Uh, but but yeah, probably probably not heading to to your local fast food joint too too frequently. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now look, the Healthy Weight website has this lovely comparison. I, I really like this. It talks about apples and pears and it compares them in terms of body shape. And the first thought that came in my mind was, wait a second, you can't compare apples and oranges. We all know that. But now we're comparing <laughs> apples and pears. So clearly, 
comparing fruits is okay. <laughs> so <laughs> the, the, the website says that apples or people with apple body shape carry fat around their waist and people with pear shape carry it on the hips, thighs and buttocks. Now, people might really like apples, but why is it bad to be an apple? Well, it's pretty pretty hard, isn't it, when we get get defined by all sorts of things, including cups of fruit and our body shapes. But the main thing is is that yeah, that apple shape is really about carrying fat around that that abdominal or, or waist area, and we know that that is a it's actually a really strong marker of chronic disease risk. It's an indicator of a good indicator of total fat in the body, which obviously might distribute itself differently around the body, but it's also a really strong indicator uh, of what we call visceral fat and this is the type of fat that sort of hangs around our organs and things like our liver um, which is actually quite we, we don't want to have too much visceral fat um, because it's, it can be quite inflammatory and and put up things like our cholesterol levels and our blood pressure and those kinds of things so yeah it's particularly um, a dangerous area if you like to be carrying too much ex- excess weight and in terms of diabetes, it's certainly um, one of the biggest risk factors because we know that carrying uh, weight in that particular area makes our bodies more resistant to the action of our hormone called insulin, um, which puts us at a risk of, of developing type 2 diabetes. So in terms of the shape, just so that people can get an idea, maybe they look in the mirror mm-hmm. and they say, well, look, sorry, I don't look like an apple, so I'm just going to let this one go. <laughs> Can I just put it then in the context of uh, let's pick males for example, and the uh, mm-hmm. and the classic Aussie gut. I'm thinking of a male who perhaps from behind doesn't look too unusual, like the you know the legs and and hips don't look particularly out of whack if you don't look to it look at it too closely. But then as mm-hmm. as you look from the side and you see the big gut hanging out over the over the belt line, is that that's what we're talking about with visceral fat, aren't we? Yeah, so that's, I mean, so visceral fat you can't sort of see so much sitting at the front there. That's more, yeah, our, our, the fat around our waist, but it's an indicator of that visceral fat as well as the total fat in the body. So even if, even though someone might look, as you said, fairly um, you know, slender from behind, if they're carrying that weight around the, the belly there, then that's, that's the real concern. So when you say that there's, that when you talk about visceral fat and, and how it, is hanging around the in uh, the internal organs should just to get some sort of a visual on it uh, you know people listening to this might think well i'm not really quite sure what that means other than perhaps the obvious but is it should we be thinking about it in terms of that fat actually just crowding out or even just squeezing out those organs is it, is it placing pressure on them um, to a certain extent, it, it can do, yes. There was actually a really interesting and quite gruesome show that Jamie Oliver did with with uh, uh, this um, scientist quite a long time ago, and he actually did an autopsy on a on a deceased gentleman who was who was um, very very overweight in his stomach area when he died, and all of his organs were actually kind of squished up because of the amount of of uh, fat that he was carrying in the area. But you could also see this so-called visceral fat as a coating around all of his organs as well. That sounds horrible. Sorry, I just had to pause there just just as I let that image just take hold in my <laughs> mind. Yeah, yep. It was quite quite a gruesome show, but very interesting for, for those of us interested in that kind of thing. So what about age with uh, with body shape? Let's just stick with the apples and the pears here for a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, the the factor of age comes in. Can I can I be young and then just say, look, it's all right, I've got some years 
I'll deal with this later. Look, to a certain extent, I mean, it is it is true that you can get away with a little bit more when you're young. Uh, but, I mean, the longer that you're carrying this kind of weight, the more damage that it has the potential to do, I suppose. And it's also about the, the types of um, lifestyle and things that, that lead to this kind of behaviour that could be for this kind of sort of fat around the, the stomach area and things and being overweight that, you know, could be doing other damage as well as, you know, actually causing you to be overweight. So it's not just about how it how it looks on the outside, if you like. It's it's the other things that are going on. Um, so I guess it, the one thing... Sorry. I was just going to say, so it really is a thing that matters day by day. Yeah, yeah, it certainly does. Um, but, the, I mean, the good thing is that you can, even if you lose a small amount of weight, that can have really positive changes in terms of your risk of, of developing these types of chronic disease and things that we've talked about. So even in someone who's who's really quite overweight, losing just about 5% of their body weight, which in someone who's 100 kilos might only be 5 kilos, um, but that can still have a really positive impact on their risk of developing type 2 diabetes and, and other chronic diseases. So just briefly on the pears, I don't want to leave the pears out of the discussion here because I don't want to feel that they've been left. Don't want them to feel that they've been left out. Um, why is a pear shape less risk? Yeah, that's a good, really good question. I mean, it's it's basically from research that's been done to show that carrying the, the fat around the waist is associated, and these are these are all associations. Um, they're not necessarily in an individual. Some people just um, accumulate fat in those different areas differently. So, you know, I myself am much more of a pair. Um, that's that's just my my genes and definitely my family's body shape. Um, but others tend to carry it more in in that stomach area. But I guess the the main message is that if we're all not carrying too much extra fat, it, it doesn't really matter where it where it accumulates naturally. Um, it's about yeah keeping it keeping it to a minimum. Now, there are a number of measures that we use. Uh, they have specific numbers, and these might be a little bit bedazzling to people as they try to figure out how to use them. So there's the, there's the BMI, which is the, the body mass index. Then there's mm-hmm. the, the classic waist circumference. Uh, we've talked about apples and pears. Uh, mm-hmm. Then there's uh, one that I thought was particularly interesting, which I hadn't heard of before, which, which was the waist to hip ratio, uh, mm-hmm. which would require a calculator. And uh, then... I thought, well, most people probably wouldn't think about putting a tape measure around their waist or getting out a calculator. Now, the the Healthy Weight website talks about maximum numbers or guideline numbers, and the, the numbers are bigger for men, so 95 centimetres around the waist for men and 81 centimetres around the waist for women. You talked before about associations. Is Are these numbers generated by an accumulated knowledge over time, and that's just kind of where the averages tend to fall? Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. So based on a number of different studies that have kind of indicated that these are about the numbers at which we think there's an increased risk of particular chronic diseases. Um, mostly this is looked at cardiovascular disease, so disease issues with your heart and with your circulatory system. Um, but then they've actually sort of taken these, you know, once we've sort of got to these rough cutoffs um, or indicators of, of the increased risk, uh, they have actually sort of looked at that in, in population groups. So there was a big study done that looked at sort of around 4,500 men and women and, and they really confirmed that these did hold, that people that had their waist circumferences over this were at a much higher risk of cardiovascular disease than those that were that, that had waist circumferences less than this. 
Uh, but I guess the one thing to say is that a lot of this research is done you know, primarily on sort of Western Caucasian populations. So uh, it's not to say that just like BMI, it doesn't necessarily hold for everybody and we, we do need to look at people as individuals. Now, we often hear about people putting weight on again after they've lost it. What causes that? There's a huge number of things <laughs> that can cause it. Um, yeah, apart from I mean, the obvious, I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, mean, I mean, one of the obvious main things is that people often go on sort of restrictive diets and things that they can't maintain. Um, and then they, they, they put, put some of that weight back on afterwards because they return to their old eating habits or they reduce the amount of physical activity that they're doing because it, it's hard to, to fit that sort of level of activity and things into people's uh, lifestyles, our busy lifestyles. I guess there's also some other um, interesting work that sort of shows that our bodies really, you know, we're, we're designed to protect ourselves. So, and that sort of does, we think, um, sort of hark back to our sort of hunter-gatherer days where it was that kind of feast and famine situation. So if we start to lose weight, our body tries to protect us and actually wants to get back to its sort of happy, what we call set point weight. So it can be really hard to, to shift that weight um, because that's sort of where your body feels comfortable and safe. Um, and if you start losing weight, it automatically thinks, oh no, we might be going into starvation here and I need to get back to that. In preparation for our discussion today, I was chatting to a, a doctor that I know just generally about the topic, and, and he said that in cases that he'd seen, people who have been uh, overweight for a long period of time and then go on one of these restrictive diets that you were just talking about, in particular things like stomach stapling, because mm -hmm. their minds have known themselves to be uh, overweight or that shape for so long, they, they end up losing the weight, but then they find all sorts of other ways to to restore themselves to what their brain knows that they are, as in this is who I yes. am. My, my brain thinks that this is who I am and therefore I must be this shape. Do we know yes. much more about that kind of behaviour? Look, I think it, I mean, it's something that's still being, uh, still being researched. Um, there's a study being done in Sydney that's looking at so one of the sort of popular diets that recently has been that 5-2 diet, uh, and which has shown some good results, but we know that when people stop doing these things, then they, as you said, they start to put on weight. So they're looking at sort of how you can maintain that, but perhaps obviously we can't continue to sort of maintain very restricted diets for a long period of time, but, but helping people to maintain diets that are sort of just... You know, not not going back to what they were eating before, but but still having reduced energy intake, but not as restricted as it was previously, and and helping them to maintain that that physical activity and things to try and overcome those kinds of natural tendencies that that our body wants to to get back to where we were before. In a moment, we turn to the three things you can do to get started towards healthy weight. For more discussion on healthy eating, explore the Learning Capacity Podcast archives at soundcloud.com slash learnfast. In episode 35, I ask Carissa Wolf from Diabetes New South Wales if we're eating too much sugar. As it turns out, we could be eating too many of what Carissa calls discretionary extras. But unfortunately, the discretionary extras are taking over and 42% of their daily intake was actually coming from these you know, non-nutritious foods. I love that term, discretionary extras. I'm thinking there's a whole new line of biscuits for that one, I reckon. <laughs> new Arnott's discretionary extras. How about that? Do you reckon that sort of rolls off the tongue? 
Well, I think that's it's interesting when you look at the language of food as well, because um, I think. Coming back now to our discussion with Kim on healthy weight. Well, clearly we can't uh, talk about healthy weight without actually talking about the food, and this might be that much more interesting for other people. And, uh, of course, at the Learning Capacity Podcast, we'd like to talk about how we can learn about a great many things. So let's learn about eating at home or eating the right foods. And, uh, well, all of a sudden my appetite has, has grown. Um, let's talk about three things in general. I'll just mention them now and then we'll talk about them in detail. So the first one is cooking at home more often. The second one is portion sizes. And then the third one is can cooking at home be simple? So the first one, clearly there's a link between weight and what we eat. So just leaving weight aside at the moment, let's just not think about our weight, but just in general, how should we be approaching food? It's a very, very interesting question. <laughs> I mean, I think how we approach food is, is very individual. Uh, the, the value that people place on food is, is different depending on their cultural background and, and a whole range of other things. But I guess for me, it's about thinking about food as our, our nourishment, but also a source of, of enjoyment and, and an opportunity often to socialise and spend time with our families and things as well. Um, but enjoying our meals and, and thinking of them as opportunities to nourish our bodies, not just as fuel. So should we be cooking at home more often? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I think that's one of the things that in our busy lifestyles people have um, started to lose. And there is so many convenience foods and other things like that out there that, that often it seems like the easier option to do that. But uh, really, I mean, a lot of, we only have, Sort of fairly small studies and things to actually demonstrate demonstrate the benefits of cooking at home in a in a scientific way, if you like. Uh, but they do sort of show us that you know if you cook more at home, you have much more control over what you're eating. You tend to have eat smaller portions. Importantly, eat a lot more fruit and vegetables than those that, that they eat out a lot more often, um, and eat less energy as well as eating less. Um, you know, things that are often added in those foods out like sugars and salt and, and extra fat and that kind of thing. What about processed food? I mean, I was in a uh, supermarket just yesterday doing a bit of a weekly shop and I noticed that I'm just surrounded by packaging and boxes. Now, a lot of people are eating a lot of processed food, even if they're buying it in a supermarket and then taking it home. Is it is it just about eating at home or should we should we be eating home-cooked meals? I mean, people aren't dropping dead all over the place from eating processed food. So what's the balance there? I think the balance is, is a combination, really. I mean, there's nothing wrong with including some processed foods as part of a healthy diet and using some, you know, shortcut uh, products and things that you can purchase in the supermarket to cook yourself for yourself at home. Uh, I guess the the issue is that often our processed foods and things like prepackaged sauces and meals and things often have, as I mentioned before, more sugar and salt and fat and things, and they're not as high in fibre and, and other uh, vitamins and minerals as, as our fresh whole foods, like our fruit and vegetables and things like that. Uh, we often... You know, processed foods often try to replicate those by adding some of those ingredients back in. But one thing that nutrition research really shows us is that nothing's as good as the real thing. Uh, we can't replicate the action of, you know, the fibre in fruit by taking a pill or, or having a, a glass of a fibrous drink. Uh, it just doesn't quite do the same thing. So it's 
a little bit of processed food's okay, but but eating as much whole food and, and things from from scratch from the outskirts of the supermarket is generally a good way to look at it. Thinking about portion sizes, you mentioned before that when people tend to uh, when people cook at home, they tend to eat smaller portion sizes. Is that because we couldn't be bothered to make more food, or is it because when we eat out, there's just more food being served up, or do we tend to buy more when we're out? How, how does that work? I think it's generally that uh, the portion sizes when we eat out are that much bigger, and there has been research to show that we tend to eat whatever's put in front of us. Uh, so, I mean, it's certainly still possible to eat as much at home if you choose to serve yourself the similar portion sizes to what you get when you're out, uh, but you just have more control over it at home. Um, it still requires people to think about, you know, yes, this is all I need for this meal and I'll put the rest away for later or have the leftovers for lunch. But, but generally it's because those portions out are much bigger and we eat it because we've paid for it and it's there and, it, and it's tasty. Here's a curly one for you. Let's say that I'm one of these really healthy people. I've got a great weight range and I just really like eating a lot of healthy food and I'm eating all the right things, or at least I think I am. Can I eat as much as I like? Even if you're eating all of the right things, we all have a certain amount of food that we need. Um, I guess one thing I would say is you can pretty much eat as many of your colourful vegetables as you like uh, because they have very little calories or energy in them. But things like our our proteins and our carbohydrate foods like our pastas and potatoes and then our proteins like meats and things, they have calories in them. So we we all have our calorie or energy needs for the day even if... Obviously, if you're really healthy and really active, your energy needs are much greater than somebody else's. But over time, if you eat in excess of them, then you will start to put on weight. So does the body have any natural defense mechanisms from eating the right foods, as in too much of it? So, you know, if you're eating, uh, let's say you've got a really heavy protein diet for for whatever reason, does your body then start to send you some signals to say, oh, look, you know, ease up on the red meat or ease up on the eggs or or whatever it is that you're eating to get that protein? Or do we really actually have to watch the balance even if we're eating right food? Well, I think, I mean, if we're eating um, generally healthy meals and things, most of that should look after itself without needing to try and complicate things too much. I guess the main the main mechanism that the body has is is hunger and satisfaction. So, And one of the big problems is that most of us aren't very well attuned to our hunger. Um, we tend to eat a lot out of habit and, okay, it's, it's this time. I, I therefore think it's meal time, so I'm going to eat rather than really knowing what our hunger signals and our fullness signals are. And that's, that's really the, sort of the main, the main thing that our body has to, to tell us that we've, that we've had enough. Do we sometimes misinterpret hunger for a lack of hydration? Could we just have a glass of water to, to ease the pain? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so being dehydrated and not having enough fluid often does turn up as, as feeling hungry. So certainly if you think you've, you've probably eaten enough, then definitely have a, a glass or two of water before going for another snack if you think you've had enough otherwise. Uh, but I think also we, we tend to, um, we can sometimes feel hungry because we expect to be hungry at a certain time when it's not necessarily that, that you know, we, we may have had quite a large meal and, and that might be um, keeping us going for longer than we, than we think. Turning now to um, the simplicity of cooking, some people might just say, look, I just don't like to cook. 
And coupled with that, I'm just wondering whether in the popular media we're now getting a bit too much pressure, say from television, with shows like MasterChef and My Kitchen Rules, where you know all the time now on television people are, are watching these uh, very talented people plating up these wonderful creations, and we're sitting there going, well, I either don't have time to do that, or I can't do that, or I don't really feel like doing that. Uh, does home cooking have to be difficult? No, absolutely not. I mean, obviously, it's, it would be lovely if we could all go home and whip up meals that looks like they, they came out of the from one of the master chef cooks, but uh, it certainly doesn't have to be that that difficult. I mean, the, the main thing is to base your meals around vegetables, and your vegetables don't have to be, um, you know, they don't have to be from the local farmer's market or you don't have to have gone and, and sort of foraged for all sorts of weird and wonderful things, um, you know, you can just focus on things that you can cook quickly and easily, either in the microwave or steaming, um, focusing on sort of lean lean protein, so you know, a small portion of, of meat or fish or chicken with your meal, and then a small portion of some sort of whole grain carbohydrate foods or starchy foods like your potato and your, your pastas and things like that. Um, but everyone has to to come up with some meals that suit their taste preferences as well. Mm. But there's certainly heaps of uh, you know, really quick meals that you can have um, at home. Things like, you know, even things like eggs are a fabulous quick meal to have at home. People think of eggs as a breakfast food, but you know, there can be really, really quick dinners on the go. Um, things like just having some pre-done sauces and things to pop on some chicken and grill or steam those with some vegetables. Uh, yeah, so there's, there's a heap of, of really quick and easy easy things that you can make. Now, you mentioned uh, microwaving vegetables before. Uh, I'm led to believe that microwaving vegetables is okay. So I've heard some people say that you tend to cook the goodness out of them. What's the truth surrounding that? Yeah, so there is there is certainly some truth to the to the idea that you can um, lose some of the vitamins in in vegetables by the cooking method. So if you overcook them, and you can do the same if you're boiling them or steaming them. The main things that you tend to lose are things like vitamin C. And really, uh, whilst so whilst it's better to have you know just slightly crunchy vegetables to minimise how much you've lost. If you're eating enough of them, if you're eating enough fruit and vegetables, the small amount that you'd lose in cooking is really insignificant. Let's say that people listening to this podcast are thinking, all right, I think healthy weight is important. I think I've got an issue. I think I need to do something about it. Okay, I'm going to cook at home. I'm going to watch my portion sizes. I'm going to try and keep it simple. I don't know where to start. What would you say to a Mm -hmm. person like that? Well, I think... uh, one thing to do is to really have a think about where you where you want to be with your weight or where you want to be with your eating and set yourself a small goal to start with. So that might be if you're someone that doesn't cook much at home at the moment, that might be, okay, this week I want to try and cook at home three times for the week and then set yourself a plan as to how you can achieve that. That might be deciding what you're going to cook for each of those three meals and then going out to the supermarket to, to get the ingredients for that could also be that um, you need a buddy, uh, someone to, to come on board with you to help you out. So that can also keep you accountable to your goal. So that ho- hopefully that might be your partner or your family that live with you that want to help you achieve that goal of, of having those three meals at home that week and they can help support you. Well, here's a thought. Your buddy could then actually have dinner with you. <laughs> 
Absolutely. Which, as, as we said right at the beginning of the interview, I mean, for me particularly, you know, that social aspect of sharing a meal and things is really important as well. Well, particularly given the fact that uh, we talk about TV dinners, maybe it might be a nice thing to do a complete lifestyle change and say, well, look, for a few nights a week, I'm going to grab my buddy and we're going to go shopping together and then we're going to eat together and maybe not even have the television on that night. I mean, there's a wild thought. Yes, yep, revolutionary possibly. <laughs> but I mean, we do often, yeah, we we do get in the habit of eating in front of the TV and and that can often be what we call mindless eating. So we're sort of eating because we're in the habit of nibbling as we're watching TV or having um, our full sort of dinner meal in front of the TV and, and you're not you're not paying attention to those natural hunger and, and fullness signals that we talked about earlier but when you're doing that. Yeah, there's a real proactive nature about eating with a buddy uh, and going shopping with a buddy or at least being accountable to a, a, a buddy that I think yeah. would, which would really help to shift the overall focus. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it's – and you can, if you like, you can even uh, sort of introduce that element of competition. <laughs> Sometimes it's that accountability and, and knowing that you're doing it with someone else and that if you, know, if you, you decide to go for the takeaway, then it impacts that other person as well. So it can, it can really help with the motivation. Kim, this all sounds like very tasty advice. Thanks so much for your time. <laughs> no problems, Colin. You've been listening to the Learning Capacity Podcast, brought to you by LearnFast. For more discussion on learning and educational neuroscience, visit soundcloud.com slash learnfast. For more information on diabetes-related issues, visit diabetesaustralia.com.au. I'm Colin Klupik. Until next time, bye for now.